0: from the Alaska Airline Studio.
1: Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is, is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like oh my We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a 5 Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. we gotta have This is the Blitz at six.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Happy Friday, August fourteenth. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Yesterday, we got to hear from Russell Wilson. Today, expected to be the day when training camp really ramps up. First full speed practice, according to Pete Carroll, earlier this week. But great to hear from Russell Wilson yesterday. Talked about. A difficult offseason, difficult year for just about everybody, but how he worked through that to really create some of the connections and chemistry with his receivers. Also had some thoughts on the Let Russ Cook campaign, and if he agrees, we'll hear from the quarterback himself. Also, no shortage of weird stories this year. The Seahawks ended up waving a rookie corner because he got caught on video trying to sneak a woman into the team's hotel Yeah, dressed as a player. Teams having to create their own bubble-like environments right now because of COVID-19. And uh, we know how Pete Carroll feels about protecting the team. So that was probably an easy decision for them to make. Also, Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams with some thoughts on all-pro safety Jamal Adams moving to Seattle, taking a few pot shots at Seattle's defense. We'll hear from him. Also, some big tight end contracts yesterday for George Kittle and for Travis Kelsey, what that could mean for the rest of the market. Also, just feeling spoiled again. I'll I'll keep saying that, but this year we've been through it where we haven't had any sports. And yesterday, whether it was watching Dame Lillard put on a great show and the Blazers making it in in the eighth seed in the Western Conference, uh, or it was Mookie Betts hitting another, yet another three-run home run game, um, it was pretty incredible. So I just feel spoiled. Let's get to your headlines. Russell Wilson, speaking of a difficult offseason, he mentioned, though, a bright spot of it, and it was getting some quality family time.
3: For me personally, um, it was a difficult offseason in the sense that, um, you know, C being pregnant plus, you know, everything else changing around the world and all, all things going on, just our own personal communities, it was pretty heavy. Um, but at the same time, uh, that quality time that I was able to spend, um, not just with my t- uh, a few of my teammates, but also obviously with my family was probably – You know, an unfortunate situation, but one of the greatest gifts at the same time uh, to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of the off season I was able to have. You know, winning type of off season, no pun intended, Uh, but just having a championship type of off season, getting prepared and and everything else. So I'm definitely ready to play
2: welcoming uh, another child's win wilson of course russell wilson with a nod uh to to their new son right there he talked about how he personally feels right at his best right now but also there's still room for him to grow
3: um so for me personally you know i, I feel like uh i feel like i'm i'm, I'm the best that i've ever been but i feel like I, i'm only at 70 percent capacity i feel like i got a whole another 30 or more uh in me so i'm excited about each day, I'm excited about the moment. I'm excited about learning and studying as much as I can. I've studied a ton of film, not only of myself but of others, other great players, other great quarterbacks, some of the best of all time, and just spent a lot of time just uh, just really learning the game. You know, I, I want to be not only just physically at my best, you know, throwing the ball and moving and all that stuff, but also mentally and uh, from a cerebral standpoint, understanding what to get to and all that stuff. And so, I think that's. Um, where I continue to grow and continue to strive to be great.
2: Russ also saying he thinks he could play 10 to 15 more years. The best years are still ahead of him. We'd certainly love that here in Seattle. Russell Wilson on the unique off season In the past, Russ has spent a lot of time working with receivers. Uh, he said he wasn't able to get the same group of offensive guys together like usual.
3: Well, you know, uh, John, you know, obviously it was a very unique off season, Um different than ever before, and to have to prepare and to get mentally ready, to get physically ready, to all those different things you have to do. Plus, uh, without the ability to really deal with a, a, a larger group, as you guys know, I I typically try to get a big group of guys together, and we travel somewhere together. We've gone to Hawaii, we've gone to California, gone to all these different places. And uh, without being able to really do that, that was definitely unique.
2: Russ was able to work out with a couple people, including DK Metcalf, Greg Olson, also will disley uh coming through at some point and philip dorsett but russ saying that they focused on safety with those workouts first thing
3: was safety you know making sure that we were um you know safe as possible guys getting you know making sure that they're you know cleared and all that stuff to play and we have a very unique situation in our home <laughs> in itself you know with CR being pregnant and everything too as well so and we had to be very uh careful with everything and so um when we did and i did get to work with dk and greg and phil it was very small groups you know it's just just kind of one-on-one time for the most part and uh and uh you know two one or two guys at a time and we spent a lot of quality time together
2: he and dk went to mexico uh spent a lot of time bonding dk
3: and i spent uh, a lot of quality time together um we were able to go down to uh to mexico safely and before kind of covid we kind of went crazy um we were able to um uh, spend some time down there and I don't know, about five, six, seven days down there and just get a lot of work in. I mean, we worked every single day and threw for a couple hours, lifted together, ran together, talked together. Um kind of cool. I guess she got to uh you know, uh, I guess she got to teach DK how to swim, you know, that which is pretty cool. Something
2: tells me what the athlete DK is that didn't take too long, but Russ also talked about the fact that he's like a little brother to him and their bond truly really special also brand new Seahawk Greg Olson the tight end they've always had a connection according to Russ. Well, Greg
3: and I have always connected on a personal level too as well um you know him and his family and just what they what he's done in the community um not only what he's had to go through with his family and his son and stuff like that but just uh just the leader that he is and everything else I've always admired who he is from a distance and we've played him so many times so when we got to uh see each other first of all uh in miami the super bowl and then we got to talk and 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 everything else and spent a lot of time there um it was a no-brainer for us to you know make sure that we connected so you know you're getting a you know hall of fame you know type player and greg olson and just the kind of guy he is and as, as a person too as well
2: russ also saying though he was able to work out and spend some time with guys that are newer to the team then we went to san diego
3: Got some more work in I, got, I was able to spend some time with phil one-on-one disley came through too as well one-on-one got some got some time together and then obviously greg came in too and so we just were really safe in the process but it was definitely different it was definitely unique but that quality time that we were able to spend and getting those reps was key um and uh, you know obviously i've thrown up so many footballs to tyler and and, and that so Um, but that was really key just to spend time with the guys who hadn't hadn't really spent a great amount of time with and and DK still only a rookie you know he's only you know he's he's uh, it's going to be his second year and we're expecting a lot a lot out of him.
2: As for the whole safety and health element of this season Russ saying it's super important for him for the team to take that threat seriously. It's
3: super important you know first of all You know, for the safety of everyone, you know, making sure that we're doing everything we can to mask up, wash our hands, you know, making sure that, um, you know, we're being diligent about who we're around and and how we do things, Um, because it can can not only affect you, but it can affect somebody else and somebody else's family and kids and everything else. And this COVID thing's definitely been um, very real um, in a lot of different ways.
2: Russ also saying that he talked to some of the rookies about the evolving situation when it comes to COVID. You know,
3: also the rookies in terms of putting my, my, you know, leadership hat on or captain hat or whatever it's, you know, the reality is too, is, is that one of the things that we've, I, I, I actually formed a group message with a lot of the rookies and I, I was doing zoom meetings with them, you know, every day, uh, during, um, you know, spring and some of the summer and I was able to spend about an hour with them a day, maybe a little bit longer sometimes. And it was great quality time because we were able to talk about ball and also just preparation. Because the reality is, is that our situation has changed around us, and the question is, how are we going to evolve with the situation, right? And, you know, Steve, you know, we, we can't we can't sit back and not evolve. We, you guys have to be ready. There's no excuse not to be ready in a way.
2: The NFL has worked with Oakley this offseason to create a face shield, but players having very different thoughts on whether they would like to wear it this year. Russell Wilson was wearing it at practice, but he doesn't plan on wearing it for the season. I thought this was a really interesting, smart answer, but he also, if it becomes mandatory, doesn't want to be uh, new to it, doesn't want to not be prepared if he needs to wear yeah, it. Yeah,
3: that was the Oakley visor, had the mask on the front. I've been, I've been wearing it kind of a lot of the off season, uh, just getting used to it. I don't plan on wearing it. You know, I'm old school in my approach, you know, and what I've kind of done all, my whole career. But if, if, if for some reason that, I need to wear it. I want to be feel prepared. I always tell you guys, separation is preparation. So I want to be prepared just in case. I've been wearing it for, you know, half the practices and half my training time, sometimes the full training down in California in the middle of the heat, you know, 90-degree type of weather. You know, it definitely, uh, you definitely feel it. So you, you, you get used to it, though, and um, you always have to be able to adjust in this game. I think this is definitely – I think we've all had to adjust in some form or fashion and continue to adjust with everything going on with COVID.
2: Absolutely makes sense. Russell Wilson also finally asked about whether he agrees with the "let Russ cook" sentiment out there on Twitter. Uh, bless Seahawks Twitter. But he said that yes, in a certain way, he needs, he wants to treat the entire game like it's a fourth
3: quarter. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think the reality is, is that you know, early in the games, you know, I want you know, definitely you know, rather than us having it be in the fourth quarter, I, de- I think to be able to you know make some stuff happen. I think we want to. I think we have a crazy stat of the lead of. You know, I think 56-0 and 0 when we have the lead, you know, by halftime and stuff like that, I think, you know, getting, getting ahead is a key thing. You know, I do I definitely believe in finishing strong. I think we've won, we won a lot of games in the fourth quarter, you know, been, uh, do some fun things in the fourth quarter and in the games. But let's treat every quarter as the fourth, you know, and I think that's kind of my mentality always. I, I think about basketball a lot, you know, and just being able to score and make plays but play, you know, great, solid, efficient football uh, is, 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 is the name of the game. And uh, you want to be able to do it all. And I think we we definitely can.
2: Also asked if he's ever retweeted the "let Russ cook" uh, sentiment on Twitter. He said, "No, he hasn't hasn't tweeted it, but uh, he does appreciate Twitter's there for people to have fun." Up next on the Blitz. One of the weirder headlines that we heard coming out of Seahawks camp, waving a rookie because he was caught on video trying to sneak a woman into the team's hotel. Also, Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams with some thoughts on Jamal Adams and some big contracts, including one for George Kittle agreeing to a five-year deal. What that might mean for San Fran moving forward next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Listening to The, the Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Playing to survive, aiming to
4: win any way they can.
2: Don't want to interrupt, J5. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, August 14th. Thanks for hanging out. We made it to the end of the week, but happy to be with you bright and early this morning. One of the weirder storylines we heard coming out of Seahawks camp this week, the Seahawks waved rookie cornerback Kima Siverant uh, earlier this week after he was caught on video trying to sneak a woman into the team's hotel, according to multiple reports. The NFL network noted that the woman was wearing Seahawks gear in an attempt to disguise herself as a player. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. Uh, Pete Carroll mentioned earlier this offseason that having the bubble was. Both in a physical location, but also a mental one. And when talking about the zero positive tests, John Ursua, the wide receiver, a false ended up having a false positive test. But when talking about their zero positive tests, uh, Pete mentioned that it's because they're being diligent.
5: Everybody seemed to turn in a few here when they started up. You know, basketball and baseball did, and um, we, we made it through. And we've been very, very strict. But you know, we we consider we're, we're working our own bubble, you know, and uh, we understand the the, the the theory about that, and, and obviously it's worked really well for, for hoops, so and, and hockey as well. So we're we're just trying to stick with it, and, and our guys have to manage from you know a little more of a distance than just being locked up in a hotel. So, um, but our guys have been really strict about it. Leadership is really making a big deal to the younger guys, and so if we can keep carrying out, it'll be, it will we'll be in good shape.
2: Obviously, trying to set the tone moving into camp. Um, Dan Graziano also mentioning yesterday ESPN NFL Insider on teams having their own bubbles, creating their own bubbles in camp.
0: I think people are looking around and saying uh, this might be the best way to go because they're getting a lot of lectures from the coaches and the player leaders on their teams about, hey, this whole season can rise and fall on your willingness and your ability to stay out of COVID-related trouble when you're not at the team facility. Everybody seems to like what the teams have done in terms of setting up their own sort of individual bubbles and cleaning the facilities and what the rules are and the protocols are there. But the concern is when they go home, what are they going to do? They're going to take this seriously. And I think if you see players gathering to do it and you see players willingly say, look, let's spend camp at a hotel where we know for a fact everybody has tested negative and and we're not going to run into any kind of trouble spots, I think you're seeing guys take it seriously in the way that the league wants.
2: Also, yesterday, Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams, he had some thoughts on all-pro safety Jamal Adams uh, moving to Seattle, speaking for the first time since the trader at least commenting on it that sent Adams across the country. Williams took the opportunity to maybe take a few shots at the Seahawks' defensive scheme. He was asked if Adams' departure will change the way he deploys his safeties, and he responded this. You know,
6: we're very multiple on how we do those things anyway. You know, we're not just a stand, you know, but <laughs> Jamal may get bored there because they don't use their safety type things and all the different complexities of maybe this, um, maybe uh, not showing what they're doing as much as we do.
2: Maybe a reference to the Seahawks cover three tried and true here in Seattle, but uh, I will say this, winning typically not boring. The Week 14 matchup between the New York Jets and the Seattle Seahawks will have uh, plenty of storylines, and this could be one of them. The San Francisco 49ers and tight end George Kittle agreed to a five-year, $75 million contract on Thursday. The Niners, officially making Kittle the highest-paid tight end in NFL history, reportedly received $40 million guaranteed for injury and $30 million guaranteed at signing. The deal surpasses the four-year, $42 million deal that Austin Hooper signed with the Browns back in March. The average annual value also slightly more than the four-year, $57 million 0.25 million extension given to Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey later in the day. It was a good day for tight ends yesterday, but what do the Kittle and Kelsey deals mean for the tight end market across the league moving forward? ESPN's Dan Graziano.
0: It's a new day for the top of the tight end market, and it's great news if you're, you know, if you're a tight end that has a deal coming up in the next couple of years. If you're Zach Ertz or Hunter Henry or Mark Andrews in Baltimore, you know it's um, what it's showing is these guys that are either the best or or among the best receivers on their teams can start to think about getting paid like receivers get paid they're not quite there Kittle at 15 is still he'd still rank 12th among wide receivers so it's not all the way but you know you're now getting to the point where that can be the conversation if you produce like a wide receiver uh and you're a tight end just cuz you're that's your position label doesn't mean you're confined to uh making so much less so uh, a, a very interesting day in terms of the economics of the league
2: Coming up on The Blitz, ESPN's Brady Henderson joining 710 to discuss his early impressions from Seahawks practice. We also get to hear from Jeff Passan on his highlights from the Mariners season so far. His name might be Kyle. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
3: From the Alaska
1: Airlines studio, this is The Blitz.
2: Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you, hanging out Friday, August 14th. We've gotten to see a couple days of Seahawks training camp as of now, streamed every day on their social channels, which is pretty cool. And today, things ramp up. The first full-speed practice, according to Pete Carroll. Um, But yesterday, we got to hear from Brady Henderson, ESPN writer, joined Tom, Jake, and Stacy to discuss his first impressions from camp so far.
6: And it's a pleasure to be joined by Brady Henderson, ESPN's Intrepid Seahawk reporter. Uh, we are not physically present at Seahawks training camp, at least as of right now, but Brady definitely is. Uh, Brady, we heard a bunch from Pete, from Pete Carroll yesterday about what went on day one of training camp. What was the biggest takeaway um, thing that was discussed after practice? Biggest storyline that you lynched onto?
5: Yeah, probably the biggest piece of news was the update he had on K.J. Wright. And uh, remember, K.J. Wright had off-season shoulder surgery, and it was, um, I I don't, you know, the timing of it, uh, just when it was revealed, it really sounded like, um, you know, his timeline was unknown. And and just talking to people in the organization, um, you know, as recently as a month or so ago, it wasn't really, didn't really seem certain to me that that K.J. was going to be ready for the start of training camp. And um, the fact that he was out there, uh that was a pretty good sign. And Pete Carroll said, you know, afterwards that um you know they were even concerned that he might have to start camp on the physically unable to perform list, uh, but he passed his physical uh and just made a very strong return. And so um that was probably the biggest development. And then the next question becomes, okay, well, what happens with the linebacker core? Because there's a pretty big log jam there uh with more starting caliber players than they have starting spots. Uh, you're already wondering how you might, you know, how, how they're going to get Jordan Brooks, their first-round pick on the field. I thought one way would have been if K.J. Wright isn't ready for the start of the season, then you would naturally just slide Jordan Brooks into that weak-side linebacker spot. But um, it, it, it looks a whole lot more promising that Wright is going to be ready for the start of the season. And so that linebacker situation is, is going to have to be cleared up somehow.
6: What about Jamal Adams? What did Pete have to say about him? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's only been in the building
5: for, uh what is it, a couple weeks now. Um, So, you know, he was really just kind of giving his first impression of Jamal Adams, more so the individual as opposed to the player, just because, again, yesterday was the first time that, you know, those guys were actually on the field doing football stuff as opposed to just strength and conditioning. But, um, you know, he talked about Adams being, you know, a competitive guy and somebody who was very eager to learn um, you know, wanting to get all the details right and, you know, just watching him at the start of practice uh yesterday, you know, he was he was sort of having to learn how they practice. There was, you know, one moment where it was early, um early in, in practice and they were going through their, you know, warm up type stuff and there was a coach, uh, you know, I think it was their defensive backs coach, um, uh just Andre Curtis, just basically teaching him how to go through a certain drill. And so um he's kind of in that learning phase and, and uh you know they're they're sort of learning him. But um, you know, the impression that Pete Carroll gave of his first impression of Adam was that he's a guy who uh, who seems eager to learn.
3: Now, Brady, on the other side of the ball, uh, offensively, uh, you had a couple of new additions to the team. Greg Olson, uh, Philip Dorsett from a skill position standpoint, Carlos Hyde. What was Pete Carroll's thoughts on how those guys integrated to the team and to the offense in their first day of practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're,
5: they're, you know, they're, I I don't know. He didn't really go too in depth on, on what he saw from those guys. I think Pete, you know, usually likes to, to take a look at the film and he's sort of bouncing around, uh, practice. You know, I don't know if he's really Mm -hmm. honing in on, on any one specifically most of the time, but, um, you know, he did say that the work that, that Russell and, uh, Greg Olson put in over the offseason, you know, before they got here, um, and, and Wilson and Philip Dorsett for that matter, he did say that, that, that has paid dividends and, um, you know, just watching a couple of those, um, you know, I think it was a goal line drill that they were doing and Russell connected with Greg Olson there a few times. And, uh, again, I mean, look, there, there's no defenders there. You're just basically playing catch with a guy. Um, but, you know, it just, it looked like something that, uh, that, that they have done before. And so, um, you know, you really, you know, I'm somebody like me is not going to glean a whole lot from, from watching a drill like that. Uh, but you know, Pete, Pete spoke highly of the work that they did over the off season, just to get them, uh, you know, to kind of I guess make up for time that they lost that they would have had during a normal offseason program.
3: What are what are a few things that you're going to be keeping a close eye on as you watch camp develop, uh, as you watch practice continue to go? What are some of those key things that you're you're watching out for?
5: I'm going to watch for for Jamal Adams and, and how they use him. Um, you know, just talking to people in the organization, that, that one of the terms I heard was chess piece. Um, you know, and other people have described him as a weapon. And, uh, you know, he he's not going to be your average strong safety, um, who just sits in the box there. I mean, he, he's going to, I think he's going to mostly play in the box, but they're going to use him in a number of ways. Uh, past rusher, we all know, So you guys have talked about the fact that he had six sacks last year, which, is a number that just jumps out for uh, any defensive back, um, matching up on, on athletic tight ends like George Kittle And so things like that, you know, they're going to use him in a lot of different ways. And I think they're going to get creative with him. And, you know, for the, the price that they paid to get him, um, I think he needs to be more than just your average strong safety for them. And so that's going to be something I'm watching is just the different ways that they use him. Uh, going back to the linebacker conversation, I'm going to be interested to see who is where. Um, just because, again, they've got they've got kind of a question to sort out there. Is is where are you going to put Jordan Brooks? Is KJ Wright going to move over to the strong side? What does that mean for Bruce Irvin uh, on early downs? So, um, those are a couple things. And then you're always watching, you know, the the new weapons on offense, just to see again how they uh, seem to be meshing with uh, with Russell. And um, so those those are the few things that come to mind.
2: That was Brady Henderson of ESPN on Tom, Jake, and Stacy. That full interview available for you at 710sports.com. Speaking of offensive weapons, although in a different sport, Jeff Passan joined Bob Davamore yesterday to chat about some of the best parts of the Mariners' season so far. Uh, short, small sample size, and still the Kyle's impressing.
7: We get a chance to talk some baseball with a man who knows a thing or two about the sport. Does a great job covering baseball for ESPN, and he is with us buddy jeff Passon is here jeff how are you man gentlemen how are you we're doing all right you know watching the mariners can be a challenge we've tried to uh our best to remove our fandom and just say all right this is about focusing on individuals focusing on what are perceived to be the core kyle lewis and jp crawford and you know justice sheffield you can go down the list of young guys but you watch a game like last night where Taiwan Walker throws a really good game, six innings, uh, one unearned run, and then the bullpen comes in and just absolutely blows up and they lose the game. <laughs> I, I don't know who in the bullpen is going to be with this team for, for any length of time. But what 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 is your take on what you've seen out of the Mariner team so far, just in terms of the young guys that are perceived to be
6: the future? Boy, I mean, let's start with Kyle Lewis because I think he's probably been the brightest note on the team. Uh, offensively, he's, he's good. Like, I don't think he's a 340 hitter good because I worry that he punches out too much, but, uh, I've appreciated the patience. I've appreciated the power. I think he's got a fantastic swing. Um, and, and I think there's, you know, I think there's going to be more extra base hits. All we've seen from him this year, I think is five extra base hits and four of those have been home runs. So, uh, I think there's absolutely more there. Um, let's see, Evan White, uh, as my fantasy team will attest needs to learn to hit, (laughs) but God, God, I love watching him field. Like he makes first base beautiful and, and that's a difficult thing to do because first base is, uh. First base is a position that is not often identified uh, with beauty. Um, I've I've been pleasantly surprised, as I imagine you guys have, with J.P. Crawford. Um, I I think he is lo- he's finally starting to look like the guy who was a top ten prospect. And and the thing about J.P. Crawford was that he always could pick it, and he didn't strike out. Now, you know, he had those like inverted strikeout to walk numbers as opposed to the you know, 200 strikeouts to 50 walk guys that you see in baseball these days. And I, I, you know, I think he's, I think he's got more walks than strikeouts this year. So uh he has been fun to watch. And, and then, you know, those are, those are most of the centerpiece type guys, I think. Um Someone like Austin Nola, I've really liked him a lot since last year. I know that he is extremely well-respected in the clubhouse and uh, while he's on the cusp of 30 years old, if not 30 already, um, he's he's someone you you know you'd like to have around as the the utility type guy. Um, the, uh, am I missing anyone who's young? I mean, I I know that everyone's missing Jared Kelenic because he should be up right now. Yeah, and some of the um, pitchers probably ju-
7: Justice Sheffield or Dunn or you know.
6: Yeah, I you know. I don't know that Sheffield or Dunn is going to be a front of the rotation type guy. Um I think with both of them the issue is command. It always has been command and until either of them shows me not that they're consistent strike throwers, but that they can spot their their fastball especially and their secondary pitches as well, uh I I don't know that I'm going to pencil them in for anything more than, you know, a 4 or 5. Um the Look, when it comes down to it, um, I think that Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and Emerson Hancock are the guys to be focused on, probably if we're looking at future rotation pieces, more than the the Sheffields and Duns.
2: That was ESPN's Jeff Passan on with Bob David Moore, and that full interview is available at 710sports.com for you. Just click on the podcast tab. Up next on the Blitz, Damian Lillard with another incredible, important, uh, sorry, performance on Thursday night. Just left me at a loss for words even. Also with an incredible performance would be Mookie Betts. Another three home run game for him. He's now got six in his career at age 27 plus. We got to hear from Cleveland pitcher Zach Plisek, who said that he's been unfairly dragged through the mud and the media is at fault here. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for the hot list
6: holy mackerel
1: the headlines for the day in sports every morning at six forty-five.
6: heck yes what are we missing here
1: a full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive let's
7: go
2: Damian Lillard had another incredible performance on Thursday night, 42 points for Dame, including 12 in the fourth quarter to lift Portland to a 134-133 victory over the Nets. The Nets had the ball in the final seconds, but not able to get the bucket and get the win. The Blazers earning the eighth seed in the Western Conference and a spot this weekend in the NBA's first play-in tournament. Lillard has helped Portland to a 6-2 record in the bubble thus far, allowing the Blazers to finish a half game ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies, their opponent, in the play-in round this weekend, as well as the Phoenix Suns. Fortunately for them, 8-0 in the bubble, but not enough. Lillard scored 51 points to beat the 76ers, 61 points to beat the Dallas Mavericks, and now 42 points to beat the Nets. The games the Blazers won by a combined... Seven points. So, if you want that in a little context, according to Elias Sports Bureau, Lillard became the first player in NBA history to score at least 40 points in three consecutive games that his team won by three or fewer points. So, definitely relying on his performance. Uh, undisputed, perhaps MVP of the NBA bubble so far this season, uh, Damian Lillard on how he felt uh, down the stretch there in that game.
4: I the whole time, but even when we went down 10, I was like, I might have to start putting my head down and making something happen. You know, but our, we kept preaching the same thing. You know, we got to start getting some stops. If we don't get stops, we're not going to have a chance. I and mean, I thought we was able to put a few stops together and give ourselves a chance to play in transition instead of letting them set up their defense and double teams and stuff like that. And once we got those stops, we was able to, you know, get to the rim, get fouled, get a few easier looks and then get ourselves back into the game. And then I think once we cut it to like four and we settled in, we got to stop. And uh, they were being aggressive. And I just, um, I felt the guy chasing me over his screen and I just rose up and we got the three free throws and we were down four. And once we got to that point, I was like, all right, now it's just, you know, a no matter of who's going to make the, the big plays down the stretch. Who's going to do just a little bit more and who wants it more
2: blazers head coach terry stott's really impressed with dame's run in the bubble i get
4: asked that a lot he's just he's a special player he's a special player and he's a special person and you know the special guy the special nba players in history have had that something and he has it you know he has a will that just transcends and we wouldn't be the team obviously without not only his basketball skill but his mental makeup
2: Damian Lillard for himself now looking ahead how important the upcoming games are it's a lot
4: riding on these games so you know it's almost like every game that we've been playing our last three four games has been like our season is on the line so once you get to the playoffs obviously the urgency and the care is going to be there but you're not going into it like all right if we lose this one game one we're going home so um, I think it'll be a little bit better
2: Speaking of impressive displays of athleticism, Thursday night, also in only his 17th start in a Dodgers uniform, Mookie Betts put himself in some rare company, along with some of the game's most prolific power hitters. He notched his sixth career, three home run game in an 11-2 win against the Padres at Dodger Stadium.
0: And Betts with a fly ball to
1: left center field, way back, and he has hit it out. Third home run of the game for Mookie Betts got seven on the season the route is on the dodgers 11 to 2 on six home runs tonight
2: the only other players with six three home run games are sammy sosa and hall of fame first baseman johnny mize sosa got there in over 2300 career games mize did it in over 1800 career games Betts accomplished this feat in his 813th at age 27 The right fielder finished 4-for-4 with a hit-by-pitch. Now has seven home runs, six doubles, and is a slash line of 319-380, 694 through his first 79 plate appearances of this year. So uh, no contract slump for Betts, who signed a 12-year, $365 million extension right before the start of the truncated season. Not bad. Began Thursday with an off field two-run home run on a first pitch outside corner fastball. Also added a solo shot to left center, on an 0-2 high sinker. Um, then just another two-run home run on a 3-1 count down the middle splitter. So hitting really everything out of the park yesterday and incredible. Congrats to Mookie. Cleveland pitcher Zach Plesac. yesterday. You know what? Danny has a great expression, which is just don't Instagram live. And maybe that's maybe that's what should happen here. Cleveland pitcher Zach Plisek took to Instagram to say that he felt that he and his teammate Mike Clevenger have been unfairly portrayed as bad people in the aftermath of the pitchers being quarantined by the team for violating COVID-19 protocols last weekend in Chicago. 25-year-old police posted a six-minute video on his Instagram page Thursday to, quote, get out the truth to fans about the situation. By the way, we should set this up by saying he is driving around in a car, Uh, The entire time that he was filming this video, I checked. He is wearing a seatbelt. At first, I was concerned he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, but he's just wearing it incorrectly below his arm, around his waist. Um, But still sort of an unsafe situation to begin with, to be posting this six-minute video on how uh, you were actually more safe than we think you were. He acknowledged breaking team curfew Saturday when he and Clevenger left the team hotel, went out to dinner and socialized with Klesak's friends. Klesak had pitched earlier in the day, getting the win as Cleveland beat the White Sox. But after Cleveland were told by Major League Baseball security about the players being out in public, the team got a car service to drive Plisic home so he wouldn't risk exposing himself to teammates if he had been infected by the coronavirus. Clevenger, meanwhile, didn't tell the team he was with Plisic and ended up flying home with the team. So if he had been infected, he could have possibly uh, spread it to his teammates. The Indians placed the two right handers on the restricted list on Tuesday. Fellow pitcher Adam Plutko he was pretty harsh. Said please and Clevenger had hurt us bad. They lied to us. Terry Francona also saying that they had to earn their trust back. Meanwhile, Zach police decided that this was the right time to then take to Instagram and talk about how they're being steamrolled in the media. Uh,
8: I want to get on here and, and clear the air on some stuff, kind of voice my opinion, voice um, some raw emotion to you guys and, and get out the truth so that you guys um, can kind of understand what's happening so we can all be on the same page because the media really is, is, is terrible, man. The, the media is terrible. And they do some evil, evil things to create stories and to make things sound better, uh, makes things sound worse. And truthfully, I'm disgusted the way the media has handled this whole situation um, surrounding our team
2: said he's been dragged across the mud.
8: So media has portrayed me and my, my best friend and teammate to be malicious with our actions when we were really, you know, not justifying what we did because we left the hotel. And according to new rules, we weren't supposed to leave. But according to CDC and these guidelines with corona, we were practicing safe practices in a small group with people who we know have been tested and came back to to our our curfew late, which was 10 p.m., and and clearly been exposed as being bad teammates, bad people, and dragged across the mud, you know?
2: Uh, Zach, please, Zach, there's still more. Uh, This went on for six minutes, talking about how he understands coronavirus.
8: I understand that there are risks people are taking to play this game. And the last thing I would want to do is put anybody at risk. The last thing I would want to do, my little brother has type 1 diabetes. My mom's a nurse. I understand the significance of this illness and this disease. And I know how important it is that we must follow certain procedures and and guidelines to ensure safety for the entirety of a group.
2: I understand it, but I didn't do it. And the media is at fault here. It's kind of what the entire message said. And also, oddly, talked about what they actually did. They went out to dinner then went back to this house to, like, crack some packs to open up baseball cards, which I love doing as much as the next person. But can you just wait till the uh, threat of the coronavirus is over to do this? Maybe you could do it virtually. I'm sure it would still be there. Plus, you're a professional and you should follow the Outlines of what you've been asked to do to play your professional sport. Three Florida statewide receivers, including star uh, Tamaron Terry, have publicly spoken out about a lack of transparency in coronavirus testing at the school on Wednesday night. DJ Matthews also tweeting that he had quick, that he had tested positive for COVID nineteen. That tweet was quickly deleted. Followed by Thursday morning, a second tweet suggesting lies within the program. Terry retweeted Matthews and offered his own vague concerns, writing, "I can't believe this." Warren Thompson also offering some clarity in an open-laid letter he penned to Florida State saying he had been lied to about testing and health protocols on multiple occasions. Not good. NCAA President Mark Emmert said Thursday there will not be fall NCAA championships because there are not enough schools participating due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. It's a decision that affects 22 championships, including FCS football. Uh, ESPN's Heather Dinich on Mark
0: Emmert and this decision. There are a lot of different reactions, and I think it really is a campus-by-campus decision right now as to whether or not they're going to continue with those fall sports, which they absolutely can. Mark Emmert made that clear. This does not have to ruin the fall seasons for 22 sports that have national championships through the NCAA. The question is, do those student-athletes still want to play, even though they are not playing for a national title, at least this fall? They might play for it in the spring.
2: Once again, left up to the individual schools to decide to continue, um, which we'll see. We'll keep you updated on that. Joe Kelly, we played some of his sound for the Big Swing podcast yesterday. I was on with a current Dodgers teammate Ross Stripling. And he was pretty candid when talking about his suspension in the Astros-Dodgers game, the eight-game suspension, which he felt was incredibly steep. Also, later in the podcast, with some thoughts on the Astros cheating scandal, which he said was run by the players in his mind.
9: It goes down like this. Major League Baseball does an investigation, and they want people to snitch. So the only way to get people to rat and be a narc is by saying, we won't punish the players, we'll give you an immunity to rat people out. And so the people that took the fall for what happened is nonsense. Yes, everyone's involved. But the way that thing was ran over there was not from coaching staff. It was ran with coaching staff. Yes, don't get me wrong. But they're not not—they're not the head boss in charge of that thing. It's the players.
2: Also had some further harsh words for them. So now
9: the players get the immunity and all they do is go snitch like a little b**** and they don't have to get fined. They don't have to lose games. They take the livelihood from people who worked hard to become a manager and axed. They take the livelihood from people who work hard to become a GM, axed. So what happened is you get people to snitch and become a rat and the people who could afford to lose money get immunity. The people who afford to get their names tainted get immunity.
2: Also, yesterday, Russell Wilson speaking to the media and was asked whether he agrees with the "let Russ cook" sentiment.
3: Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think the reality is this: you know, early in the games, you know, I want you know definitely you know, rather than us having to be in the fourth quarter, I think to be able to you know make some stuff happen. I think we want to. I think we have a crazy stat of the lead of you know I think fifty six and zero when we have the lead, you know, by halftime and stuff like that. I think you know getting getting ahead is a key thing. You know, I do definitely believe in finishing strong. I think we've won a lot of games in the fourth quarter, you know, been uh do some fun things in the fourth quarter and in the games, but let's treat every quarter as the fourth, you know, and I think that's kind of my mentality always. I, I think about basketball a lot, you know, and just being able to score and make plays but play, you know, great, solid, efficient football uh, is, 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 is the name of the game, and uh, you want to be able to do it all, and I think we, we definitely can.
2: Russ advocating a little bit there for what he wants to see on offense this year. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.